John 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through it. Yet the world did not know him. He came, into his, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Far from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning, church. It's good to see you here this morning. Like they said, we're, we're, it's just a, a one-week break. Um, and I want to start this morning by telling you a little bit a little bit about my story. I have spent most of my life not being convinced that God is real, that he became a man to be with us and reconcile us to God, or that Jesus is still with us today by his spirit. I spent most of my life not being convinced of that. I grew up in the church. When I was a little kid, I remember I had to go to church. That's what my family did. I didn't have a choice. And so I went to church. They put me in Christmas place. Made me a wise man. <laughs> didn't have a choice. They said, when you're out there on the stage, you see the star, act surprised and happy. I didn't have a choice. So I did. And everybody laughed at me. Oh. Then I got older. I realized that when I was going to church as a kid, um, if you asked me then, did I believe in God? I'd say, yeah. Junior high, high school, I went to a few Christian schools. And I would debate with the teachers theology. I, my dad was a pastor. He catechized us really well. And I would argue with the teachers in front of all the classroom, and the everybody else. Teachers hated me. I was passionate about that, not because God was real to me. 
I just like pointing out that I was right and they were wrong. If you asked me then if I believed in God, I would say, yeah. After high school, I pretty much dropped out of church. God was not real to me. The time I do remember going to church on my own without anybody making me or inviting me or anything like that, it was only after I knocked back a six-pack. And if you asked me then, do you believe in God? I would say, yeah. Eventually, Shannon got me going back to church on a regular basis. It was not because God was real to me. It was because I like being part of a community, and I like Shannon. So I went. And if you asked me then if I believed in God, I would say, yeah. You know, that church did an annual amateur church play every Easter uh, weekend. That year, I helped them build their sets. And on dress rehearsal uh, one night, I was running around doing some last-minute things while the choir was singing about the crucifixion with, with a portrayal of Jesus suffering on the cross for sin. And then it hit me. This was for my sin. For ignoring Jesus and not taking him seriously. For running away from him. I mean, that, the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done just absolutely clobbered me out of nowhere, stopped me in my tracks. It was like an earthquake that knocked me off balance. It shook me awake out of my sleep. The scales fell off my eyes, so to speak. My heart of stone became soft and alive to Jesus and his truth. This was new to me. This was finally real to me. After all those years just kind of going through the motions, saying, yeah, I believe in God. That state of being stunned, like, wow. You know, it didn't stay, you know, 24-7. I don't think anybody's surprised by that. But I'll never forget what happened. And it got me praying a simple prayer, you know, throughout the years that followed. God, please be real to me. God, please be more real to me. Meaning, God, please convince me that you are real, that you became a man to be with us, to, to make us right with you, and that you are still with me by your spirit. Please make that more real to me. And I can't stop praying that because I know that I lose sight of it. And I'm pretty sure it's a, per, a, a safe bet that all of us do. All of us need to pray, God, please be real to me so that your love for you is real, so that it changes my heart, so that it changes my life, so it changes my priorities, so that I live for your name and for your purposes and for your kingdom and, and for your glory. Make me on fire for you with a single purpose. We all need way more of that. It's going through the motions is not worth it. You may say that you believe in God, like I did. But there has to be something that stirs in our heart where he becomes more important 
than anything else in our life. God answers that prayer. And do you know how he answers that prayer? For God to be real to us? It's through his word. His spirit shows us in his word who Jesus is, what he's done for us. It shows us that he is with us and that he loves us. And that may be something that you've heard over and over and over again like a million times, but there's something that the Holy Spirit does through his word to stir us up and make us on fire for God to be loyal to him and to love him. That's what we're looking for. Not just some intellectual agreement. We need to pray that through his word that, 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 that we see God, that he became a man, that he's still with us by his spirit. It's so easy to lose sight of that. Anyone else here struggle with that? This is what I want to talk about today. And I pray that God does a, a work in my heart, the hearts of all of us. There's a brilliant book called Knowing God written by a brilliant guy named Jerry Packer. It's a quote that I read every single Christmas, but I don't want to wait until Christmas because I want to read it today. You might be familiar with it if you've been here for a while. He says, It is no wonder that thoughtful people find the gospel of Jesus Christ hard to believe for the realities with which it details, man, pa details past man's understanding. But it is sad so many make faith harder than it need be by finding difficulties in the wrong places. And what are those wrong places? And he goes on and gives examples like, how can the death of Jesus have anything to do with, with me being forgiven? Am I really supposed to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he was born of a, of a virgin, that he walked on water, fed the, the 5,000? Am I really supposed to believe that? Yeah. That's right. We are. Packard goes on to say that there's something more difficult. You should believe that, but there's something even more difficult than believing those things. He says the real difficulty is not simply lie in those issues. It lies not in the Good Friday message of atonement or in the Easter message of resurrection, but in the Christmas message of incarnation. It is here, in the thing that happened at that first Christmas, that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The Word became flesh. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty was born as a baby. And the more that you think about it, he says, the more staggering it gets. This is the real stumbling block in Christianity. When we read these words, the word became flesh, it raises some important questions, and we're going to kick around three of them this morning. First question is this, if you're taking notes, who is the word? John opens his gospel with this crazy sentence, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, he was in the beginning with God. You know, the age-old question, I don't know where it started, probably the very beginning, question is, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning in life? And throughout history, you know, people have been pursuing that answer, the meaning of life, the purpose of life in creative ways, you know, from religion to philosophy to science to self-help books. 
John tells us here that the answer that you're really looking for is a person. The source of life and then the meaning of life is the word, and I'll introduce you to him, John said. So who is the word? First we see the word is eternal. John starts with these three words in the beginning, the same three words that are the first three words in Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before the beginning, before God created, nothing existed except God. And then God created everything out of nothing. So John writes, in the beginning was the word, meaning the word always existed. The word is eternal. Now stick with me because Secondly, we see the word is creator. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. So where did the universe come from? Through his word. In Genesis 1, God is creating left and right, and he says, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. He says that eight times. I told you this before. When you say let there be light, you still have to put down the remote, get off the couch, walk across the room, and flip on the switch, right? Or you have one of your kids do it, because that's why we had kids in the first place, right? (laughs) Get them to do stuff that I don't want to do. Or you say, I just tell my smart speaker, Alexa, let there be light in the living room. It's not the same, all right? In Genesis, God speaks things into existence. When God says, let there be light, bam, there was light. Why? Because God's word is power. It's not just about power. It is power. God's word is a person. John says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Everything and everyone who ever lived or ever will live owes their life to the word. You and I owe our life to the word. The passage goes on to tell us the word is light. Again, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. It's not just physical light. Or it also enlightens us. Light is truth, and all reason comes from the Word. And it sheds light on our spirituality to dispel the darkness of sin and unbelief. John writes in verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. In the physical world, a little flame can dominate a dark room. It's the same with spirituality, and I have a very good feeling some of you need to be reminded of that this morning. Your world feels dark. Your future feels dark. And you're praying for light. Finally, the word is God. We're we're neck deep in theology now. Verse 1, again, the word was with God, and the word was God. And verse 14 says, the word became flesh. And that right there is the most mind-bending statement ever made. That is the high point of all scripture. It is the high point of all history. It is the high point of all of creation. God became human. 
The creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe became human. I mean, how in the world are we supposed to wrap our brains around that? That's why Packer says that the gospel confronts us with this as the supreme mystery. The word became flesh. So, let's go ahead and pretend we all get that. All right? We can agree with that. We can probably even debate for that. It's not easy to wrap your brain around it. The question now is, why? Why did the word became fle- become flesh? Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When it says he dwelt among us, it can be interpreted as he set up his tent, meaning God moved into our neighborhood to be with us. The tent here refers to the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, when the tabernacle was set up in the wilderness, the Shekinah glory filled the tent as a visible representation of God dwelling with his people. Now we learn that the true tabernacle where God meets with his people, is Jesus. God is with you. And do you know know why he came to us? First, to make God known so that you can know God. Verse 8, no one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side he has made him known. Jesus is called the Word because he reveals God to us. In John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father uh, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The life of Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. If you lived in Jesus' day and you wanted to see what God was like, you would watch Jesus. But how do we do that today in 2018? Here's how. You see him through the eyes of those who saw Jesus and wrote about it. In the Gospels. You see the creator and his power as he calms the storm and he walks on the sea. In the gospels, you see the light of the world as he heals the blind and he casts out the powers of darkness. And you see the source of all life as he stands in front of the tomb of Lazarus who is dead for four days and he commands Lazarus to come out and Lazarus does. The word became flesh to make God known but also to bless God's people. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Jesus came to us to give you grace in a broken, hard, harsh world. And and, and we see his grace in his selfless life as he loved people and he served people perfectly with pure motives and we see the fullest revelation of God's grace at the cross. 
that is grace upon grace, wave after wave, and it is relentless. It's on the cross that the creator was crucified by his creatures. The God of life died. The light of the world was snuffed out by darkness. The the one who was with God in the beginning cried out to his father and there was silence. The one who breathed life into each of our lives, the, the, the one who sustains that life every second of every day by his own authority loosens his grip and dies on the cross. And he did that for us. And as painful as the crucifixion was, there was the shame. Hebrews 12 says, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst criminals, people who were considered scum of the earth. It was so shameful, it was illegal for the Romans to crucify their own citizens. And God chose to endure not just that pain, but also that shame at the hands of people that he created. This brings us to the so what question. How will we respond to that? I mean, is that something that we just simply agree to? Yeah, yeah, I believe that. I mean, it's easy. If you've been raised in the church, that's what I heard my whole life. I believe it. My question is, is it real to you? Does it light your heart on fire? Does it make you love Jesus more? Make you, does, it, does it drive you to be more loyal to him, to want to live for him, and to love his bride, the church, to rearrange your whole life and all your priorities around that? Is it real to you? How do we respond? This passage shows us two responses. Some did not receive him, verse 10. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John reminds us that from the very beginning, God has been planning and creating life for us. And, and his, all of his creation reveal who God is. But the people he creates and the people that he loves say to God, who are you? I don't know you. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Here's here's the thing. People think non-religious people and religious people are so different. They can be the same. Both non-religious and religious people reject Jesus all the time out of self-righteousness. We all easily lose our sight for our need, lose sight of our need for him. We're good enough on our own, thank you very much. But by God's grace alone, some do, did receive him and still do today. Verse 12, but all, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, for, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're still just kind of checking it out, um, you know, maybe you're right there. You've come to a point where, where you see that, that you can't save yourself, that you need 
life and grace out, and forgiveness out, outside of you. You realize you can't be good enough. And maybe you feel lost and you're desperate for grace. My question for you this morning is this. Will you receive him this, today? Will you, will you give your life to him today? Will you give your heart to him today? Will you give your soul to him today? Will you trust him as your deliverer, the one that took our punishment on the cross so that you wouldn't have to be punished? Would you trust him for that? Will you follow him? Finally start. You've been thinking about it for a while. Will you finally start your relationship with God today? I want you to know this, that that he has been calling you to himself your whole life. And this morning... You're hearing God's call through me. On behalf of God, I am calling you to put your trust in Jesus today, to finally follow him. He's calling you. I didn't see my need for the cross. God had to show me. I mean, I came to realize that I am so sinful that it took nothing less than the death of God the Son to save me. And and if we get that, When we get a glimpse of that, it will change our hearts. It'll change how we live. And the world becomes, when more and more people believe and more and more hearts and lives are changed, the world becomes more and more of a loving, gracious, beautiful place. The kingdom of God advances because of those who do receive him. If you do receive him, if you have received him, Can we all pray with each other and for each other that he he becomes more real to us? Not just as individuals, but collectively as a church. So that our hearts reflect it, that our lives reflect it. So we're not just going through the motions. See, it becomes Jesus, who he is, what he's done for you, and the implications for your life and for your future. I mean... Seeing the reality of that happens best in community. A community centered on Christ and his word as we pray together and as we worship together and as we meditate on his word together. So this morning, I want to give you two suggestions, something practical that you can do to pursue this. The first one is this. If you have not, if you're not part of a crowded house yet, a home group that meets throughout the week. If you're not part of a crowded house, a community group, sign up for one. Sign up for one today. When we got a sheet back there, that's what we're all about. People coming together to look at God's word, to see Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and to build each other up in our faith for, uh, about who he is and what he's done for us. It happens best in community. You think your spiritual life has been boring or whatever and you're blaming everything else? Get involved in community. Dig into the scriptures and see Jesus and his grace for you. It happens best in community. The second thing is, I want you to take note of this website. This is not meant to be a commercial. I just want to pass something on that's helpful to you the cbrjournal.com the cbrjournal.com it is not just another bible reading plan when you 
dig into this. It makes God, helps make God more real to you. This, this helps you realize that, that you're listening to God speak to you through his word. He is talking to you. You ever wish God wrote you a letter or something so he could be more real to you? Guess what? He did. He wrote you a letter. He wants to talk to you. And this is an opportunity for you to dig in and listen to him. Tell you how much he loves you and how much you need him and how much he forgives you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and the work he did for you on the cross and that you have new life in him. We need that renewed in our hearts on a regular basis. And so reading the word is not something legalistic. It's, it's, it's life-giving if you're looking for Jesus and see your need for him. By the way, if you can't afford it, if you can't afford the $8.50, I'll get it for you. Just let me know. I don't want this to be a commercial, so I'll leave it at that. See me if you want to hear more. I just want to give you some tools. Two things, Crowded Houses, the CBR Journal. So, I happen to agree with J.I. Packer that the real difficulty with which the gospel confronts us is found in those words that the word became flesh. Jesus of Nazareth, this carpenter's son, was fully God and fully man. Like he said, the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. This is the real stumbling block in Christianity. And he goes on to say, but once the incarnation is grasped as reality, all the other difficulties dissolve. And you realize, wow, if Jesus is the eternal word, the creator of all things, then of course his life would be filled with miracles. You don't have to try to explain that away. If he is the source of all life, then of course he, he rises from the dead. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to, I mean, it just makes sense. If he, if he is the source of unconditional love, then, then of course he's going to share that life and love with us and then call us to share that life and love with others. Once we grasp that Jesus got in the flesh, it is unreasonable to reject any of this. It all fits and hangs together. It's a profound mystery, but it makes sense of everything else. So how you respond? We just leave it with, yeah, I believe in God. We pray that it becomes more real to you. Will you receive him? I plead with you to receive him, to trust him and to know his truth, his love and his grace, and then share that truth, love, and grace with as many people as you possibly can. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me?